Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Miloš Novovic and I'm an Associate Professor of Law at the Norwegian Business School. All opinions today are entirely my own. And I'm Ria Alexandra Valle from No Ties Consulting. So hi Miloš, how's it going? Hi, it's going well. Yet another day, yet another GDPR talk. Yes, and this episode we have something special for our listeners as the European Commission released yesterday their question and answers for the new SECs, the standard contractual clauses that were released last year. So do you want to give us the highlights on what SECs are? You mean standard useless clauses? Yeah, so in theory, the idea is that uh, standard contractual clauses are one of many potential mechanisms used in Chapter 5 of the GDPR uh, to facilitate international data transfer. The main idea behind them being that they are contractual clauses binding between controllers and processors, controllers and controllers, all the possible data protection setups, which provide the data subjects with some uh, additional guarantees stemming from that contract. The data subjects can bring claims against companies uh, that they would not normally bl- uh, be able to bring direct claims against because of these contracts. Obviously, after Shams 2 decision, things are not as simple as just signing this and relying on it as the uh, international data transfer mechanism. There have to be some additional consideration, but I'm sure that most of our listeners have heard about the SECs. And you have yeah, but it's not only for transfers, right? In my opinions, they should be only and exclusively used for transfers. Um, you have definitely heard some points of view that uh, standard contractual clauses should be used in place of data protection agreement. I just find that standpoint to be wrong. I don't believe that an SEC, which restricts the text so much, Uh, should be used as an Article 28 agreement where parties actually have the ability to customize and tailor the agreement to their needs. That's interesting because um, so I had a discussion with a fellow in uh, on my LinkedIn post of today and SEC is basically that's just a generic term for standard contractual clauses and they can be in the form to for as a safeguard as per chapter five but there can also be standard contractual clauses for data processing agreements so you know the confusion is all over the place and 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 of course it's it's difficult to really understand why they chose to call everything SECs because most people they think that the SECs only apply to the transfer mechanism but it it is also uh, then used for the clauses that could uh, be like an article 28.3 agreement. That is very true and uh, even I forgot about that when you asked me to introduce standard contractual clauses mostly because I think Why would you ever want to use standardized clauses in place of an Article 28 agreement that you actually can customize? Yeah, and I got super confused myself. Like in 2019, I believe, the Danish uh, Data Protection Authority, so they released their uh, SEC for a data processing agreement. And when I opened that document, I was like, have they gotten something really fundamentally wrong here? Why are they calling it SECs? But then I realized, okay, it's just a generic term. So, you know, that is that is one side of it. But 
why shouldn't we all just uh, use SECs like for a data processing agreement? Of course you want to use that because they are legally binding, they're legally correct, they are exactly what you need for an Article 28.3 agreement and you don't have to discuss and argue with the other party or negotiate or any of that boring stuff. Well, first of all, you will always have to negotiate. So you will have to negotiate whether or not the other party wants to use a standardized agreement or standard, uh, SECs. Uh, that's the starting point. Uh, secondly, as I've said, uh, you can use them maybe to get a start, but I don't think that there is necessarily you know, best and worst practice when it comes to Article 28. I think that uh, 28 provides us with the bare minimum of clauses which have to be um, signed in a contract, but not even signed, yes, actually signed, uh, in a contract between a data controller and a data processor. I think that uh, it is entirely to a data controller and a data processor to choose how to implement those clauses. In other words, there is no right or wrong way as long as those clauses are incorporated. Party autonomy, freedom to contract is just as central to, um, let's say, functioning of um, European Union in general as the right to data protection is. So you're saying that I don't have to use the uh, SECs from the Absolutely. European Commission in order to have a valid data processing agreement? Absolutely not. And in addition to that, I would say that uh, in some cases it would even not be wise to use them. Why would we think that something which is very standardized and very generic is good for our specific client needs. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Well, at least we'll, we'll have to sign every document, right? You have to sign the contract and you have to sign the uh, SECs and you have to sign, like if you have a data processing agreement in addition on top of the transfer SECs, don't we have to sign every single document? No, I would say definitely not. Uh, I don't think that there is anything uh, in the GDPR directly interfering with national contract laws. So whether or not you actually have an agreement in place, what kind of interpretation is going to be applied to that agreement uh, is ultimately going to be a matter of national contract law, not GDPR. That means uh, that whether or not something has to be signed is at the end of the day going to be a question of national contract law. That being said, there is definitely a requirement uh, for the uh, Article 28 agreement to be made in writing. But let's talk about standardized contractual clauses as a transfer mechanism. I see no reason uh, not to refer to them in the main agreement or in Article 28 agreement to just say this agreement incorporates standard contractual clauses, uh, the following modules apply, the following clauses apply, uh, and then just to attach the annex to the clauses. Basically, just refer to the clauses, choose your options in two words, uh, and fill out the annex and say that the annex can be updated with the agreement of the additional parties. So instead of signing the clauses again and again, you actually just have this one small clause which you keep and you update, as necessary, of course. No, that, that can't be right, Milos. That can't be right. Is it that easy? Could I just reference the SECs? I'm sure you have to attach, like, maybe not all the, uh, the various scenarios, like all the modules and all the clauses, but surely you can't just refer to them. I don't see any reason why not. Because, I mean, think of the general legal principle that uh, sometimes you can just refer 
to other things and they become a part of the contract. So say that you're shipping some goods, you have, um, let's say, incoterms, which are basically more or less contractual terms, where parties use two, three letters to describe how the shipping and liability and risk is going to pass from one party to another. It's not necessary for them to copy-paste the entire test text and to actually sign it, it's enough to use a couple of letters to refer to it. Now, because SEC is actually required to pick a few options, you might, in addition to that one sentence saying the contract incorporates SECs, uh, have to actually say which options you've picked, but I see no reason why you would have to uh, have the actual SECs themselves. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, and one thing that I think is important to point out, though, is that you can't actually change the text of the SECs. Because unfortunately, I have seen agreements, let's call it that, where you have like data processing terms about the GDPR and uh, other relevant laws and regulations that pertain to the processor, uh, where they have actually changed the actual text within the SECs. So they have added the SECs in full for the module that they've chosen. Uh, typically, it's module two or module three. And uh, then they've changed the text. But uh, I think that might be uh, a violation of the SECs, right? So that's a tricky question again, because I feel that the parties uh, are able to supplant SECs or the main contract with any additional provisions they see fit, as long as it doesn't affect the third party beneficiary rights of the data subjects, or as long as it doesn't actually conflict with the text of the SEC themselves. Because then it's more yes. or less actually not part of the SECs, it's part of their general agreement between them. So uh, yeah. it's important to keep SECs as they are, but I feel that you can always add additional obligations. But there are actually things which you could do with SECs, which in my opinion could influence uh, the, your scope of liability towards data subjects. Um, so you're able in the SECs to pick the law which is applicable to the SECs themselves. Uh, and you're free as a starting point, at least in most of the setups, to pick between any uh, of the laws of different EU member states. Uh, if you were, for example, to pick Norwegian law to, again, regulate how the breaches of SECs uh, should be compensated, or sorry, how the data subjects should be compensated for such breaches, you would obviously apply Norwegian national law to determine how much money the data subjects are going to get in this case. And because, as we know in Norway, uh, the way that those damages are assessed tends to be rather restrictive, people get very little money, there could be a huge difference uh, whether or not you pick Norwegian law, English law, German law. Uh, English was an unfortunate example, but you get my point. Uh, depending on which law you choose, you could actually reduce the scope of your liability. Yeah. Well, that's interesting as well. And I think just uh, just to be clear, like you, you cannot change the actual text of the SECs, but you can uh, amend. Of course, you have to pick your options. And then you can add to it uh, as long as it doesn't contradict with the content of the SECs. So um, this guidance, this uh, question and answers from the Commission, is that legally binding? No, I mean, nothing is legally binding, not nothing, but vast majority, I mean, it, started, it starts as guidance, no. And I mean, as everything that comes from uh, EDPB, it is a reflection of best practice, but absolutely not legally binding. Maybe it's in the words, recommendations, opinions, and guidance. What do you think? Exactly, exactly. And I think that, you know, 
Very often, uh, those recommendations go way too far. They expect unreasonable things. They interpret GDPR in a very, uh, let's say, extremist way. And I don't think it makes any business sense to always stick with those interpretations. Yeah, and let's not get into this now, but the recommendations for the supplementary measures that caused a lot of ruckus in uh, in our space. So uh, I'm sure that many will agree with you. But on to another issue. So this was also heavily discussed on that LinkedIn post. If a controller objects to you appointing a new subprocessor, you cannot engage them, period. And some of are of the opinion that this means, strictly speaking, that you don't you can't appoint them and everything has to go on as planned. But here some other people argue that no, not necessarily. And this is actually in the Norwegian GDPR commentary by Skullerud et al. saying that okay, this doesn't necessarily mean that the processor would have to continue uh, business as normal. They could say that okay, if you you might object to us appointing a new sub-processor, but you then have the choice of terminating the contract. What do you think about that? So just to make sure uh, whether or not I understand correctly. So the first part of the question is whether or not a processor has to stop using a sub-processor once the controller says in the specific... Uh, no? Uh, no, appointing new ones. Well, there would have to be either specific authorization or general authorization to which a controller can object, right, under Article 28. So, Yeah, so let's say it's a general um, uh, authorization. So and the processor contacts me as the controller saying that we are planning to appoint this new sub-processor. And I say, no, I object to that. I don't want you to do that. So some feel clear. that, okay, this means that I can't actually appoint the new sub-processor. For that specific processing operation well, I, yeah I, for that I, uh, agreement but uh, others say that okay this means it this doesn't uh, mean that you have to not appoint someone it just means that you you should add uh, into your data processing agreement that if the uh, if the controller objects to the new appointment they are free to terminate the contract Thus, giving the processor the opportunity to actually appoint a new processor. And this is highly relevant for any SaaS processor. I see. But honestly, this is a non-issue for me because it's very clear that the controller can object, right? Uh, if the controller objects, it's also very clear that the processor cannot use... I mean, there is nothing controversial. It's the basics of uh, Article 28, that a processor can't keep using the sub-processor for processing on behalf of this controller. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, the question is, does the processor need to continue processing the data? Do they have an obligation to process the data on behalf of this uh, controller? And the answer is clearly no. Um, a data processing agreement is usually tied to some kind of, a, uh, let's say, main contract or main agreement. Even if it's not, it's a contract between parties. Any contract can be terminated. I don't, I, I don't see the issue. And yeah. sorry if I'm being grumpy, this... grumpy GDPR, but I really don't see the problem. <laughs> well, as you said, this is grumpy GDPR. So this is, uh, you know, our place to, to be uh, maybe even a bit controversial. So at least, you know, this, uh, this new guidance, it, it, it's still causing a lot of debate. And I think one of the main challenges here are as well that 
when the new SECs of 2021 were released, it was a lot of confusion of who do this, who can actually use this. And this pertained especially to Recital 7 and Article 1 of the SECs, stating that these can only be used if the GDPR doesn't actually apply to you directly. And I don't think that the, the question and answers document from the Commission um, well, maybe they are explicit enough, but I think it's really unfortunate that they are pushing out yet another set of clauses and legal documents that companies and organizations have to spend a significant amount of time, resources and money on after having pushed out these uh, new sets uh, already last year. I see. So, uh, so basically what you're saying is, uh, just to make sure that I understand correctly, uh, it's that if there is a company or person, but let's go with company uh, incorporated in the United States, having no establishment in EU, offering uh, goods or services, targeting uh, people who, who are in EU or monitoring their behavior, basically in the scope of Article 3, uh, then you can't use uh, the SECs as a transfer mechanism to them, right? So the thing here that I found trick, find tricky is that um, in Article 1, it specifies that it's the data being processed. So if the uh, processor is directly subject through Article 3.2 to the processing in question, then they can't use the SECs because the Commission says the GDPR already applies to them. Yeah, which that, that makes, makes these types of SECs uh, obsolete. Yeah, and I get that, but the, the issue here is that so the 2010 and the former SECs, they you couldn't use them after September last year. So what were the commission planning for these types of businesses outside of the EEA to use in the meantime? And of course, everyone like uh, everyone implemented the new SECs. Because that was the expectation in the market as well. And they spent so much time and money and resources on this. And now it turns out it is clear that the, these cannot be used for many of these uh, businesses and organizations. But maybe then there is just this disconnect between Article 3 and uh, Chapter 5. Maybe it should be made more clear in the future data protection instruments that uh, if you have a recipient who is already subject to duties under the GDPR, that you don't actually need to follow Chapter 5. I think that would make a lot of sense because when you think of the original purpose of the SECs, it's basically to create this bubble of European data protection law which follows the processing uh, to third countries as well. But then if the recipient is already subject to the GDPR, there is no need to create this artificial bubble, right? In yeah. theory, at least. And the EDPB, they recently launched their public consultation for Article 3 and the interplay with Chapter 5. So that has been out for public consultation and it hasn't been finalized as of yet. So everybody is super curious to see what will come out from that. But there's, there's still like confusion around that. So I hope that the final guidelines will provide like really clarity around this issue let's hope so let's hope so and i think it is it's definitely uh very much called for because you work with a lot of clients which are uh which are established outside of eu eea in your experience does this create a lot of legal uncertainty for them 
Yeah, it absolutely does. And it's frustrating, uh, evidently, because uh, the EU keeps uh, pushing out legal documents and requirements on top of all the other numerous model clauses that are now uh, in play across the globe. And for especially uh, SaaS processors uh, with a global market, this is just super frustrating. And but as you know, uh, some comfort to that is that I don't think the work was entirely wasted. I think they can reuse a lot of the efforts that they uh, they put in place from last year. So that is some cons uh, consolation. But I, I think it doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look very good for the uh, for Europe when we keep pushing out this uh, legal documentation. And to be honest, in my opinion, I think it could actually undermine. Uh, privacy and data protection because you end up spending so much time and money on legal documentation where you should rather be focusing on doing security audits and improvements. I absolutely agree. It's uh, very much focused on form over substance. Um, I've already expressed my view that uh, you should just incorporate SECs in your main agreements by, by referring to them, but I think I think regardless, there is going to be lots of bureaucracy involved. And uh, when you think of the fact that also GDPR doesn't differentiate on businesses based on their sizes uh, and other type of things, it's just unreasonable to actually expect, uh, let's say, small, medium business to actually adhere to these provisions while at the same time taking care of the actual, you know, uh, Article 5 basics of data protection. Yeah. And I think like um, the Danish uh, supervisory authority, I think they're really proactive. They put out a lot of useful practical guidance, especially for the small businesses and organizations. And I, I've recently went through all of the SECs and the various templates that are in play now. And uh, to be honest, I actually think that the Danish um, uh, SECs <laughs> for a data processing agreement is likely the best one. So if you don't have the resources to really like create your own contractual setup, I would definitely recommend you to use that as a template. Or not even a template, it's a model clause. So uh, I think that would be uh, make sense for the smallest businesses and organizations at least. I agree. Uh, I agree it could be a nice starting point. That being said, uh... As I've said, I'm very much of the opinion that you need to assess what it means in your own scenario. You need to assess how the national law you choose to apply to this contract is actually going to interact with it. Uh, you need to see if there are any provisions which, uh, which you find to be simply going beyond the scope of the uh, minimum requirements of Article 28 and to yeah. assess their impact. That's such, that's such a good point. So on that note, I think uh, we have uh, been grumpy enough for today for the SECs. And if uh, people want to read more about this, we will add all the relevant links in the show notes. And that's all for today. Wonderful. Thank you all. Thank you. Bye bye.